0: Welcome to Fires on the Farm podcast. I'm
1: Donovan, and to my left is Roy. It is so quiet out there. It's running like a ghost town. It is. All the clubs have been closed down.
0: No more dancing on the dance floor. So interesting choice of music. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say something about the music last week.
1: Oh, I thought I'd just throw that in there as a surprise. And when I first heard it, I was like,
0: "What the What the hell did he do?" And then <laughs> it's like, "I believe the children." Are. I'm like, "Oh my god, that is classic." It's just. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Well, and so, so now here we are. Fall instructs are over. Yep. Um, all the affiliates are done for the year. Absolutely. We're a couple weeks away from the winter leagues all starting up. So right now all, we've got the Arizona Fall League, and that's about it. Yeah. So, but we're creative here on Friars on the Farm. We come up with other ways to pass the time. Absolutely. So there's lots of articles out there to read. And so we skim from that and we've got some things to talk about. And then uh, we've got our, our reporter on the beat,
0: right? Our, our Arizona insider, Jason Panini from prospects live will be on a little bit later on. I, uh, there are some awards we'll be giving away, but first before we get started, and this is something I wanted to keep doing. So you guys know that you can reach us at, on stitcher. You can find us on Google play. You can find us on the iHeartRadio radio app. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, um, pretty much all the major outlets we are on. Uh, If you guys don't want to keep using the same feed or you have another app that you guys use, those are the apps that we're
1: on. Um, But we want your feedback. Give us ratings. Give us, you know, tell us what you want to hear. Um, If you think that we're a bunch of idiots, let us know. (laughs) We can take criticism. (laughs) I prefer constructive criticism, but I don't, uh, you know, I'm not going to turn away anything. (laughs) Absolutely. So batting lead off here, the Amarillo Sod Poodles were named the Texas League Organization of the Year. (laughs) The award is determined by a vote from team directors throughout the league. And this is their first year of existence. So fantastic job, the Amarillo Sod Poodles.
0: Absolutely. So what I didn't put in here was they were uh, the ballpark of the year by Baseball Digest. Uh, They were like the umpire clubhouse and... Visiting, and visiting clubhouse yeah and visiting clubhouse awards like it's a brand new ballpark so you would think they'd win some good stuff but they, i mean they have done a fantastic job building a state of the art facility uh that's gonna set the standard i think even the weight room you
1: know you the batting cage you can see from the street um the, well and the people that run the organization have done a good job of promoting it with the community oh my and, god and yeah. getting the the fans the locals interested in sod poodles baseball
0: absolutely so president tony enzer said it's been a long and rewarding journey as he as we all witnessed the positive impact the team and ballpark has had and will continue to have on the amarillo community and the texas panhandle we want to thank our texas league colleagues for recognizing us with this honor now hodgetown drew 40 total sellouts including 23 consecutive 23 consecutive sellouts Throughout the 2019 campaign, averaging over 6,200 fans per game, combined with playoffs, the team welcomed nearly 450,000 fans through the gates in a market size of 200,000. There's only 200,000 people in Amarillo, which finished 21st in all of minor league baseball and
1: second among AA affiliates. Fantastic for them. Um, Now, I've seen some reports about Attendance, that NFL attendance is down, MLB yeah. attendance is down, hockey, basketball, they're not drawing the same numbers of fans that, that they were in the past. But baseball, minor league baseball, is one aspect that is actually drawing more fans this year than yeah. they were last year. Yeah. So, And I'd like to think that the Padres affiliates are, are having an impact on that. I mean, right here, you've got a brand-new AA affiliate, and they're, they're killing it down there in Hodgetown.
0: Yeah, I think the number one team was uh, the Las Vegas Aviators. I mean, that ballpark is phenomenal. It's a brand-new ballpark. It's also a AAA ballpark, so there's more seats there. Um, it is Vegas, so I would think they would attract also a lot more people. It's right next to a big uh, hotel. And they uh, have Finn the Bat Dog. Right, we love fin. We, we love bat dogs. Bat dogs are cool. Also, um, baseball needs more bat dogs. The Fayetteville Wood, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers who are the high A advanced team for the of uh, for the Houston Astros. Thank you very much. Also, had a really big impact on that. Oh,
1: they also had a brand new ballpark this year, right?
0: Yeah, they did brand new ballpark, Hodgetown, So a bunch of new ballparks. And we talked about it last episode was the Tim Tebow effect that the Syracuse Mets got.
1: Yeah, but I mean that's. I would think that that's kind of a. It's a blip, so yeah. that's not something that's going to be sustainable. I doubt he's going to be a professional baseball player again next year. No, but at the same time, I don't. I, I don't imagine that that was a huge, uh, boost. Was it? I haven't seen it's, numbers on that. Yeah, well, the article that we had
0: last week, yeah, it was. Well, you know, they they put it in there. Okay. So, um. And also this week, I had a little interaction with um Darren Smith because he had posted a a video of, or posted uh tweeted something on. NBA having like the best season or like a really good season. And then I counterbalanced with like, that's not what the guys at baseball America say. And we had some playful discussion on that on Twitter and I wasn't trying to troll him. And, uh, he, he put up his, you know, the NBA article, which I read, which is they've done really well last year. And they met those numbers again this year. And then I tweeted my, uh, the baseball America article, um, which I thought was kind of cool. I've never had any interaction with Darren Smith, but I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Well, I mean, the local media folks—they, yeah—they—they they put things out to get a reaction. I, there's a certain amount of that that I, I like. Scott Kaplan, um, and um, who's his name? Scott Scott. Not, who's the other guy? Scott and Br. Yeah, the other dangerous. radio show that was that was right next to them on 1090 before that all went down. Anyway they have to take an aggressive position on something on any st- they on any issue they need to take a very hard stance on one side yeah. and part of that is to generate the conversation yeah. but when the fans reach out and and we interact with them and we bring an actual logical argument yeah. supported by some information some yeah. data some articles then there's a, a, a constructive back and forth that happens.
0: And that doesn't happen a lot on social media. True. It doesn't. Uh, and, it's, uh, you know, and it's not just Padres Twitter. I think it's all over social media. It's like, you know, we're all armchair everything, and we have opinions mm-hmm. for everything. And we're, if you're not my opinion, then you're wrong. And that doesn't create dialogue. But let's move on. With the NFL instructs, the Padres added, and Chris, uh, Chris Kemp said this during the interviews last week, that they added three players. Uh, catcher Logan Driscoll. And Reggie Lawson were added. Uh, Also, Jacob Nix, who has already pitched. He got to start giving up two runs on five hits. He got a solo solo shot, one base on balls and three Ks, two and two-thirds innings innings pitched. Thank you.
1: So, Logan Driscoll, he's an interesting guy to me. Yeah. So, he was a college draftee this year. He went to George Mason. Um, He's a catcher outfielder. And it looks like a George Mason. He was a kind of a split role, kind of a guy too. So in Tri Cities, he caught more than he played in the outfield, I believe. But a full college season. It was the other way around. What's he it other played more out? right field than he than he Did caught. He? But still, it's it's a full college season. Yeah. And then he gets drafted, and he plays pretty much the whole year with Tri Cities. Goes to Fall In Strux, comes here and plays in the in the. He Don didn't Welky. play in the Don Welke game, but he played the day before. He was a starter, and I think he caught the whole game. Um, that's a lot of work, yeah. for a kid, right? Coming and right then, out of the draft, and then at the end of the year, they're sending him off to the AFL for more work, yeah. So I mean, the, he's got to be hungry for it. He's got to yeah. be saying, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. I'll take all you can get. Absolutely. It's just it's surprising to me to see a catcher go on to get additional work at the end of the year. Oftentimes, the catchers you see in the AFL are guys that were hurt for a chunk of the season, yeah. So then they're there to kind of make up some some time, some lost time that they had earlier. So, like, somebody would, like, last year, if Camposano had been, he missed a bunch of the time with the concussions. Yeah. But then if he came back last month of the season, looked good, only had 100 at-bats by the time it was all said and done, okay, go to Arizona, try to get some more work in. So I'm curious what the motive is for, for Logan Driscoll.
0: I don't know, but I like that he, they're, they have these catcher outfield guys. I like the versatility. I think that's the area where baseball is heading to. I think the Dodgers do it really freaking well unfortunately for us, but you know, they got Corey Taylor who can catch. He can play outfield. He can play infield. Um, yeah, Kiki Hernandez. Kiki Hernandez is another guy who can
1: play the outfield, can play the infield. You know, has a solid back. Freaking Cody Bellinger could win a gold glove in multiple positions this year if he if the eligibility worked like that. Yeah. Because he's an amazing first baseman, a really good center fielder, and then he's put up great numbers in right field yeah. and I don't want to drool on Cody Bellinger because he's a Dodger and I don't like the colors that he wears out on the field but the guy's a heck of a player and so people bemoan well Will Myers you moved him around you go from first to left field you're going to put him at third base and now center field you look at the Cubs the Rays the the Yankees even a lot of these teams move guys around have them play a bunch of different positions and they find a way to make them successful everywhere yeah. they go. Yeah. So there's got to be some some way to do it and and make it work.
0: Absolutely. And maybe that really has to do with the makeup of the player. Oh, um, I'm sure that's
1: a lot of it, yeah. Because <laughs> there are some guys that are like, I want to know what my job is every day. Yeah. I don't want to you know wonder what glove I'm pulling out of the bag tomorrow. But other guys, just they just want to see their name in the lineup. And it's like, coach, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? So while with while Driscoll, who played most of the year, you just said this in short season, triple a, uh,
0: uh, sorry, short season, uh, tri cities will likely be limited to spot appearances as he'll be the third catcher on a roster already featuring the pirates, Jason delay and Astros Colton shaver who both played double a in 2019 catcher. Luis Caposano, which reported last week will not return after the Padres pulled him from the AFL due to a hip impingement, which is not considered a major health concern into the future.
1: So before we move on too far, Reggie Lawson he came and talked to us at the Social Summit, and somebody asked him about his slider, and he likes the pitch, but he's still recovering from an elbow injury, okay. so he's not throwing the slider right now. It's fastball changeup. Um, I don't even know if he's mix- mixing a curveball into it. So it's really just getting the arm strength back and you know getting back into the routine of playing baseball.
0: Yeah, and that's smart. You don't want to save your arm and not. I have to throw this. I have to throw this. Like, no, no, work on the other stuff while the arm gets stronger mm-hmm. and don't push the injury or anything like that. He looked good at the, uh, hey, at, I, the at the Welkie Classic. He, he did. He did. I think he's going to be up for a big, big year if he can stay healthy next year. Oh,
1: man, I would love to see it. I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm going to throw
0: this out there now, I wouldn't be surprised if he made the rotate. not ro- made the rotation, but I, if he made starts last year, if he made it to the big league club. Yeah. We're going to need a lot of pitching Depending on the Mm offseason, I think we're going to need those spot starters. I think we're going to need those guys if there's an injury that can come up and
1: make several starts. Or he might be kind of a swingman kind of a thing, middle relief, whatever. Who knows? But I would love to see him contribute in some way next year. Absolutely. So to kind of round out the
0: Arizona Fall League, Elliot, uh, who in players that are playing, Elliot Ashbick, he's been in three games, seven and a third pitched. Uh, two earned runs, eight Ks, three base on balls. He has a .83 whip. Solid. I just saw him on Instagram. He just took the day or weekend off to get a buddy married. Oh, hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's not there currently, but I'm sure he'll be back soon.
1: Uh, Reese Kinnear. So oh, somebody on. pointed out, and the, the, the joke had never landed with him. I think it was Joe Lanik, uh, the thin Gwyn. He was watching Major League, and they're talking about the wedding. And what date is the wedding? It's on October 3rd. And so the thought that that they're already planning the wedding, knowing that the team's not going to make the postseason anyway. Uh, oh <laughs> yeah, oh, right. oh my god. So That's... in this case, Elliot probably wasn't thinking that he'd be playing baseball in October. Right. So I'm going to be the best man, or I'm going to be in this wedding, or whatever. Yeah.
0: So yeah. So Reese had three games, six innings pitched, three earned runs, four base on balls, seven Ks, and a 1.83 whip. Like, and I looked on the roster. This is about the average, like three or four innings for the for the bullpen, guys. These, you know, they're not going to pitch a ton of innings. They have a lot of pitches or a lot of pitching there. So they save those arms, but they do want to get them in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the three games isn't much more. I think I've seen a four game, a couple of yeah.
1: four games from these pitchers. And it's a competitive league, but at the same time, yeah. it's a developmental league. Yeah. And so the rules are the rules. This isn't like instructs where you kind of throw the rules out the window and right. you've got a second DH spot or whatever. But still, everybody's got their prescripted workload. So you know that you're going to put Reese Canary in, and he's going to throw 35 pitches. Good or bad, whatever, that's been dictated by the parent team. So Osvaldo Hernandez has got three games,
0: three and a third innings pitch. He's had 11 earned runs. Ouch. Five Ks and six base on balls. I really think they brought him to AFL to the Arizona Fall League to get some innings. Like He started so late in the season with – with Lake Elsinore, Mm -hmm. just get him some innings. Well, he was
1: on a short leash in Lake Elsinore too. Absolutely. Or at least on a low pitch count, I should say.
0: So don't read too much into those numbers. I mean, he's not a high-velocity guy, but he has lots of good stuff that, uh, you know, the Padres are going to see what they got.
1: Well, and it's also small sample size theater here. Yeah. So there are some very, very talented hitters in this league. I mean, Joey Bart is just going insane right now. Yeah. So if you go out and you just happen to be the wrong, the wrong guy on the wrong day and you run into a buzzsaw of a lineup, yeah. it, it, that can happen. Yeah. So, I got a question for you. What's that? How does a player get a lower on base percentage than their batting average? Because right now, Owen Miller's hitting 241, and he's got an on base of 233. Hudson Potts has a 200 average, but he's got a 188 on base percentage. Sacrifice flies? Yeah, sacrifice flies. <laughs> so, both of those guys, have, I don't believe either one of them has drawn a single walk. So, their on base percentage is purely driven by hits, but then sacrifice flies also count as plate appearances. And so that gets subtracted out. But I I was reading. So this got me reading into it. Okay. They actually, when you calculate on base percentage, you don't account for sacrifice bunts because it's assumed that that is a play that's called by the dugout and it's expected that it's going to turn into an out. So I just find that interesting. Some people just put plate appearances in the denominator of the equation, but that's not it. It's it's the sum of, I think, four different categories including sacrifice flies.
0: Yeah, because you can go, you know, hey, go hit a sacrifice fly, but it doesn't
1: really necessarily mean you're going to hit a sacrifice fly. Well, no, you're you're going in there trying to put the ball in the air, trying to get it out of the infield so you can get the runner home. And it counts against your on-base percentage, but it's still a productive at-bat. I'd, I'd like to see some kind of another metric that is the, the rate of productive at-bats. And it's, I mean, I guess weighted on-base average kind of takes that into account. Yeah. But I I find that like if you grind into a double play, it counts the same as a long fly out. But the ground into a double play is is very detrimental. Yeah, it, it really hurts the team.
0: Yeah, we're gonna dig into that with Jason. Okay, and and you guys don't really read too much into these numbers. I mean the two hundred from Hudson Potts, the you know the two forty one from O'Miller. These guys have been playing. Basically, since February of, of this year. Mm-hmm. It's just, are, you know, just of last year.
1: Well, and as Where we say we? in yes. spring training, they might be working on something in particular. Yeah. Maybe they're trying to send the ball to a certain side of the field that they haven't used. You know, maybe Owen Miller's been pulling the ball all year and they're trying to get him to go the other way. Or maybe they've got them looking for certain pitches and certain types of those z- parts of the zone. Yeah. So they're not swinging away. They're looking for fastball away and yeah. trying to do damage with that. Well, they go up there and all they get pounded with is. Breaking and stuff and fastball in, so they never saw the pitch that they're supposed to be swinging at in the first place. I, I, I it's the, the stats mean nothing,
0: they don't mean nothing. And uh, we're gonna talk to so Jason, that's, about that's <laughs> why
1: we want to talk to a scout that's and see what his eyeballs our, are telling us exactly. Our Arizona insider. So, moving on, we've got Baseball America's Kyle Glazer released his California League Top 20 for the year, and as you can imagine, the Lake Elsinore storm had a strong representation here. Absolutely. Mackenzie Gore, go ahead. Yep. Uh,
0: Mackenzie Gore is number 1. Uh there was a lot of confidence and aggressiveness in the zone from the really high level stuff that he has. Bench cook among a manager, Mark Curtinian. Say that word, Curtinian. Curtinian. Uh he did not back off one single pitch against us. We felt
1: like he could pitch in the big leagues this year. Now, I, I don't I don't mean to talk about Dodgers stuff again, but Mark Curtinian is an interesting dude. Uh, Rancho Cucamonga is the Dodgers affiliate in the California League and there was an article on The Athletic a couple months ago about that guy and uh, he doesn't have an extensive playing background Um, I mean he he kind of worked his way up the coaching ladder through just will and determination and not unwillingness to accept no Uh, but he's he's an odd duck he thinks differently he's he's not a jock he's He's a different kind of a guy. So just go look that article up. It's really interesting. Interesting. So anyway, next on the list, number four, Luis Patino. Uh, Again, a quote from Curtinian here. Uh, The way he handled adversity very maturely and kept attacking, that was very impressive. When you see a young pitcher as talented as he is, do that. It's neat to see. And then uh, Glazer adds, Patino's command is still improving, but his pure stuff gives him front of the rotation potential. And I I think some of what Curtinian is talking about, we talked about this throughout the season, that – he would get out to a rough start. The first inning, he'd be all over the place, and then he'd be able to lock it down. There were a couple of times that it was pointed out that there was something about his pitch sequencing that became predictable, and he got lit up later in the game And because they saw that, okay, he's going to start you off with two fastballs and then a slider away. You know, If you've got a pattern, people start to pick up on it. Right. That's just for example, I don't know what he was actually doing. Right, they pay attention though. Yeah, and, and they saw that, that it, it got to a point and he just got lit up for an inning, and it's like, well, what's going on? Okay, let's step back, look at how we're preparing, look at how we're game planning. And there's a, a maturing process that we saw Patino go through this year. So he was struggling to begin started to hit a, a, a groove, yeah. and then he earned his promotion. Yeah, absolutely. And you remember, he's the baby rattlesnake.
0: Like, these guys have a lot of venom, a lot of, a lot of power. Yeah, that's And too. they don't know how to use it. They don't know how to back off. They don't know, you know, they're still learning. It's development. You know, we mm-hmm. see these 98-mile-an-hour fastballs in, in the Futures game. We're like, put them in there now. No, 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 no.
1: Development is so important with you know especially with the young pitchers. Well and that makes me think of something that we heard at the end of the year uh, after Ronald Bolaños came up because he struggled. Well I mean he none of his outings were great. But he came up and he's just trying to throw it through the the catcher's mitt, like yeah. trying to just 98 99 all the time and he learned after a couple of appearances I I presume working for, with Darren Ballsley and Doug Bockler that 98 is great but 95 with location is better and so he started taking just a notch off of it where he could actually place the ball where he wanted to, and he became more effective. We saw the same with Patino. Yeah. He quit going out there just trying to be as nasty and filthy as he can yeah. and starting to learn how to pitch.
0: Yeah, and that movement, you slow it down a little bit, you get a little more movement in the ball as well. So number eight, Luis Camposano. I've become a big fan of his. Lancaster manager Scott Little said he's a strong kid who puts the barrel on the baseball, and it comes off pretty good. Capuchano so flashes of being an above-average defensive catcher. He has strong, flexible lower half. He is agile blocker and aptly handles velocity. His effort wavers depending on the caliber of pitcher, however, and his
1: plus arm strength is negated by a tendency to unnecessarily throw from his knees. And that's where we have to remind everybody that he's 19, 20 years old. Yeah. He just turned 20, I think, yeah. this year. So th- he's learning. There's a lot to learn, and you get aggressive, and it's hard to keep the focus across the season, especially when you're playing in single A, where there's empty empty stands and you know long bus rides and stuff. So and you
0: know you have the talent, yeah. And once again, if you can throw guys out from your knees, yeah, ain't but, no one running on that. Well, and yeah, to see it, if
1: you can do it in high A. Maybe it'll play somewhere else. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not the the sound proper fundamentals that they teach. Yeah. And so you're not always going to get the the same base that you do, so your right. your accuracy wavers. So we saw that at the Don Welke Classic, and I noticed he threw several balls from his knees, and he was continually throwing them high, where the, the second baseman or the shortstop had to go way up to go get it, or it was on the third base side of the second base bag, which isn't where you want to put the ball. So you figure if he takes that moment to get his feet under him and really drive then maybe he might be able to be more accurate with where he's placing the ball yeah because they ran on him pretty well in that game yeah all right next on the list is, is xavier edwards second baseman who came up mid-year he started the year in fort wayne um inland empire ryan uh manager ryan barba said he has a little bit of thump in there nothing home run rise but just the ability to put bat to ball and square things up and get to the gaps was impressive and then uh, Glazer adds, Edwards provide, proved a reliable defender with a good first step and sure hands. His fringy arm is best suited for second base. So they were switching back and forth between him and Gabriel Arias at shortstop. Yeah. And I could, my untrained eye, I could see the difference. Arias has a plus-plus cannon at shortstop. Yeah, so it's kind rifle. of unfair. But we've talked about that here, that you see Edwards and there's a drop to the ball. It's He doesn't have the same zip on it. Um, but what he talked about his, his contact... So Travis Jankowski was a high contact, high speed kind of a guy coming up yeah. and he hit for great average all the way up until he made it to the majors. The problem with him was he puts the ball on the ground so much and you can do that in the Cal league because the defense just isn't that good and the field conditions aren't that good either compared yeah. to what you see on a major league ballpark, Absolutely. where you go up to the major leagues and there is no room for error. And so you put it on the ground. There's a really good chance it's going to turn into an out. Xavier Edwards doesn't do that. He's a line drive hitter. So right now, he doesn't have the power to hit more than a couple home runs in a season, but he can hit the gaps. He can hit line drives over the second baseman, over the shortstop, yeah. at least get on base and put the pressure on the defense. So he's, And he's going to put on
0: weight. He's going to put on strength. He is. You know, we're not looking for home runs out of that guy. And and, I, and if they try to teach him to hit home runs, it's, it's, it's not the way you should go. Mm-hmm. High contact, get on base, hitting the gaps, getting to second base. Or, you know, get to first and then still second. Yep. Um, there's room for those guys on major league rosters. There's room for those guys in the bigs. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you need table setters. Not everyone can be a home run hitter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, number 12, Gable Arias. He is a very athletic kid who has a nose for the baseball, Lancaster manager Scott Little said. He was a lot of fun to watch. And Kyle writes in Arias has a good swing that stays through the ball and whacks strikes. <laughs> But he habitually chases breaking stuff below the zone. His offense approved, improved when he began swinging at better pitches. His future output will depend on if that continues.
1: So we've got an article a little down, down further to talk about that goes into that a little bit more. Uh, next on the list was Ronald Bolaños, and um, Glazer writes, The Cuban, flame, Cuban flamethrower brings electric stuff with a 94-96 to 96 fastball that touches 98 miles an hour with ride up in the zone. His tilting slider flashes at 83 to 85 miles an hour, and he slows hitters down with a looping 72 to 75 mile an hour curveball. He also has a low mid to 80s changeup, and we saw all of that at the major league level when he Absolutely. came Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what, where I find this interesting. Bolaño's concentration occasionally lapses, and he'll start innings at lower velocities, but when things get tough, he finds his best. Bolaño's fastball command and control of his secondaries need work and may eventually move him to relief. His big arm will play regardless. So the guy that I saw come up at, with the majors at the end of the year, at times he looked like he belonged. Like if you're only watching five pitches from the guy, right. he the stuff is there, the mound presence. Um, he seems to be locating when he's on. Uh, it's the consistency, and this suggests that there may be a um, a, a focus, a concentration. Issue. Yeah. Now I don't know what Glazer sees to make that assessment, but he's a very trained guy. He's been doing this for years. No, absolutely. So absolutely. there's got to be something that he's seen because he had a long time to watch him, because it's not just this year. He was with Lake Elsinore all the last year. Yeah. So he came up with Lake Elsinore this year and then moved on to double A. Amarillo, where he spent most of the season. Uh, but I just I find I find that comment interesting that he talks about a lack of concentration and how the stuff is good, but so it's hard to concentrate for five innings, six, seven innings, and go out there and bring it like we've seen these guys in the postseason do. So I can see why you might take somebody like that and say, okay, let's focus on two innings. You're going to go out there and throw 10 to 20 pitches, and that's it. So you better put everything you got into them. It's,
0: I love him. I'm a big Bilanos fan. Oh, I'm a big Bilanos fan. And didn't pitch an inning in AAA. Um, rushing these guys up a little, little too quick. You know, because we needed to, because we, we needed him up there. Uh-huh. Um, is a good way to, like we talked about this before. Is like a good way to come up, get your taste. Okay, here's what you need to hear. You need to concentrate more often. You need to throw this pitch at this time. You need mm-hmm. there's works to be tweaked out.
1: At the same time, you're also uh, protecting him from the AAA baseball. Yeah. So because you don't want to send somebody <laughs> who's feeling good about themselves and then oh, send them up God. to <laughs> Reno, the moon, and just get blown up, yeah. and then there goes all their confidence. Yeah. So, Baseball America also published their Northwest League top ten, and I need to talk to the publisher because there wasn't a single Padres player on the list. And there was, and they made to, they made it to
0: the last game. They lost the last game, a game five, and so there's no guys in the All Star game.
1: What the hell? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, on their top twenty, yeah, we got to talk to those yeah. folks at Baseball America. We're gonna have to do that. Yeah. All right, so on the bright side, Baseball America wrote a. a, a Jeff Sanders, on behalf of Baseball America, wrote an article. Hey, San- how are you? Good to see you. There we are. And I am not. There we go. Little technical difficulty. Uh, Jeff Sanders published an article called Gabriel Arias Finding His Power. Um, so he starts it off with a quote here. The intriguing thing that Gabe has always had is he's always been able to impact the baseball Padres farm director, Sam Gini said he hits the ball really, really hard and he hits it really hard the other way. So we've always thought a little bit different than our other young hitters where you're working on the strength. Gabriel has always had that. We've had to continue to work to develop the overall hitter. A lot came together for Arias in 2019 assigned to high A class High Class A Lake Elsinore, the 19-year-old area set career highs in batting average, 302, on on-base percentage, 339, and slugging percentage, 470, and his 17 homers was nearly triple his previous best of six, which he hit with low Class A Fort Wayne in 2018. The power surge came in stark contrast to his first 146 games as a, as a pro, where he hit just one home run. The key? Tightening a swing that had been overly geared toward loading up in an effort to impact the ball, which a lot of players do to get to their power. The thing is, Arius with his sturdy six-foot-one, 200 200-pound frame, didn't need to overcompensate in order to drive the ball. In fact, the smaller Arius' movements became over the years, the more consistent his contact. Going back even just a year ago, he had a real violent turn away from the baseball, Guini said. He's definitely working with a swing that is going to allow him to be a little more disciplined at the plate and probably put him in a better position to see the baseball. And also, the dial has been turned up as far as the level of focus. You start combining those things and you can start to point to some real growth. So I I love that article. Yeah, and it reinforces what I, th- I mean. Lance Brozdowski pointed that out before the season started. He yeah. saw some mechanical differences that he wasn't loading his hands as far. He wasn't turning his shoulders. He wasn't like um, pre-loading his shoulders as much before the pitch came in. Yeah, so doing things to simplify to stabilize his head movement to shorten how his hands turn to the ball, because um, he's a big strong guy who's always had power. He needs to figure out how to make more contact,
0: and if you shorten that swing by not having that big load and throwing your arms, you know, hands back, and just kind of like putting the bat on your shoulders, lift it up, and that's where your that's where your load shortens the swing, and you get the product. You know, you get you get results. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I you you look. You stand next to Gable Arias. He's a ball player. Like the kid is going to be. He's going to. He's young, and he's going to have room to grow. And he just
1: reeks of a future major league player oh, he's got so much confidence about him, yeah, he knows that he's got it he yeah. he believes that he he knows that he's going to be something he believes in himself, and that's that's a lot, so we've pointed out in recent episodes that you know the the concentration and the the control of the emotions and those kinds of things, but also fine tuning mechanics
0: yeah. Baby Rattlesnake. Yeah. <laughs> he's 19. He's 19 and it seems like we've been talking about him forever. Well, mm-hmm. we've only had the podcast for 2 years, but like that's still a long time to be talking about a guy that's still just 19. Well,
1: he's been on the radar since the Padres signed him in 2016. Yeah. He signed a big bonus. He was supposed to be this this you know talented kid. Well, he's been a talented kid. He's just – it's – people get you, we – he'll he will get there. Yeah. This is the process. We're watching the process in front of our yeah. eyes, and I love it. And we document the process here at Friars on the Farm. Hey, before we swing uh, – bring on
0: Jason Pinney from Prospects Live, I want to tell you about my friend, Dr. Travis Ehlers, certified sports chiropractic physician, 14 years in the business. He specializes in sports injuries and prevention. He fixed me. I was out playing baseball today. Um, He works with high school, college, and several local professional athletes, including athletes at the U.S. Olympic Center in Chula Vista. He's at the NFL Combine every year. He'll fix you up and keep you and your athlete on the field. His office right there in Miramar Road. Call and make an appointment, 844-627-4763, or go to com. That's D-R-T-R-A-V-I-S-E-H-L-E-R-S.com. Now we're going to bring on Jason Panini. All right, it's time to bring in our Arizona insider, Jason Panini from Prospects Live. Jason, how's it going? It's going great. How are you guys doing? You know, for someone doing a lot, do you wear a lot of sunscreen? Because you don't look as tan as you should be. Like you know,
2: I'm a quarter I'm a quarter Irish, so I really just burn. Um, I have a I have a bucket hat that's been like my new go to thing at the field, and you know I'm just under the veil of the bucket hat, and it just protects me. If if it's if it's going to be a sunny day, I make sure I wear that thing.
1: I've noticed that AJ Preller has a trademark bucket hat that he is almost always seen wearing. It even it doesn't even matter if it's yeah. sunny or not. I, I think it's just part of his wardrobe. He doesn't feel comfortable like Linus and his blanket. It's the bucket hat follows him everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta roll with the bucket hat. It's the only way to go. And it's sunny here all the time, so I feel like I'm one of those people where even if it's like a cloudy day and the sun busts through for a couple hours, like I'll still get burned. So I need to have it on me.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, some of the like I know in Peoria, uh, they've got the bleachers and there's like a tarp over the top. So there's a little mm-hmm. bit of shade, but I noticed that most of the scouts and the coaches and stuff, they stand behind home plate where they have a different vantage point. Do you move around a lot or is there a spot where you like to stand?
2: Yeah. So it really depends on what I'm trying to see. I normally I'll start behind home and um, I'll definitely like watch the starting pitcher. Cause I want to, I mean, generally the starting pitcher is going to be a pitcher with some more of more promise than the other guys. So I want to see what both team starters have to offer. And then, you know, maybe like in the third or fourth inning, uh, I'll start bouncing around a little bit. I want to go get open face looks both at the at the pitchers and the hitters. So I do kind of bounce around a little bit, maybe more so than some of the other scouts that I've seen. Um, but yeah, I, I bounce around. I do stand behind home a good amount. But if there's open face mechanics I want to get a look at, then I really end up bouncing around and you know kind of strategically trying to put myself in different vantage points
1: yeah some of these scouts are crusty old guys so I'd imagine they don't want to bounce around a whole lot
2: (laughs) yeah well like I kind of don't blame them sometimes because a lot of a lot of scouts will they'll show up early and like if you catch the batting practice and you can see like the mechanics from the BP then it's sort of redundant to have to go over and see them in game although I will say certain guys, the mechanics are shockingly different from BP versus the mm-hmm. game mechanics. So, I mean, I still think there's value in in going over to, you know, basically do your due diligence in game. But, um, and I think a lot of other teams, some teams will have, um, cameras set up too. So I think maybe the scouts aren't always bouncing around for that reason. They know they can, they can look at the video if yeah. they, if they already have cameras set up and, um, it makes it unnecessary. Yeah.
0: They got a lot more tools in their toolbox than, than, than yourself. So you've been out there since forever. And so you've caught all the Arizona league, you've caught the instructs, you've caught um, a lot of the AFL. Uh, mm-hmm. Who are some of the kids that you saw, you know, in, in instructs and some of the guys you, uh, that were working on stuff.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if maybe you're alluding to this, uh, that we talked about off there, but, Um, I saw Tirso Ornelas is a guy who I'd say has made some mechanics changes. And uh, especially with his swing, he was down here during AZL. And I thought at that point, I was really, really pessimistic on him. Um, The swing still looked long. And it was one of these deals where basically he was pulling his hands up and back fairly late. um, And it was basically a hitch in his swing where, um, his hands were coming up, like I'd say, even above shoulder length, right before they were coming forward down through the zone, and it was one exposing him to swing and miss, and it was just, it was making it hard for him to to barrel up on baseballs. And um, when I saw him again in instructs, the swing looks shorter. It's you know he's not bringing his hands back or as high, and I think that's letting him hit the ball with more loft and also. Shortening his swing up a little bit, so that's something that's interesting, and I think it's also shown up like in the the stat line over the course of the year. Because toward the end of the season, he was definitely making more contact and, and swinging and missing, swinging, swinging and missing less. So,
0: <laughs> well, we, yeah, we, we caught a lot of the- yeah, we caught a lot of those games, too, and we saw a, a noticeable difference between before and coming back, and it was translating. He was getting a lot of hits. He was hitting the ball very hard, making incredibly loud contact. So we're like, God, thank God Tirso was back. Like, that's where there's there's some value in, in what he you know, going out to Arizona and, and coming back, and he's back. You know, I just have to keep saying that because we were, like you were saying, it was just tough to watch have, have so much success in, in Fort Wayne and then come up to the high A and kind of struggle and it just kind of
1: snowball from there well in contact and pitch recognition and all that was supposed to be his strong suit yeah and then you see him just swinging and missing and looking lost and we saw your report and it said that he looked lost and the the approach didn't seem like it was there and he's rolling over on stuff that he should be driving it's it's disconcerting um uh, so I'm glad that he seems to have been been turning things around um, so I've highlighted a bunch of guys, uh, that were on the instructs list, uh, that I just wanted to, I don't know how, who all you've gotten a good look at. Uh, so tears or he's come up through the system with Jason Rosario. Have you had a chance to get a good look at Jason Rosario this year?
2: Um, so I saw him a little bit in spring training and then I saw him a little bit during instructs as well. So this is a guy with plus speed. I think he's probably a defense first profile and I mean, there's decent bats of ball skills, but he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to hit for a lot of power. I mean, I don't have great feel for him, but that's my general impression on his profile from from what I've seen. I think it's a a rangy, rangy center field type who, you know, will make decent contact, but isn't gonna isn't gonna blow you away with uh, power production.
0: Are these younger guys kind of selling out for power
2: and kind of putting those hitches in the swings, do you think? Because he's still only 20 years old. Well, I know Astoria Ruiz is a guy who I'd say like does not get cheated on his swings.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say – I mean, I'm not sure who you're thinking of, but um, – I mean, in well, general, we've seen a lot of guys. Yeah. They, their
1: swing seems to be long, and you look at the guy and go, okay, if you could shorten up, you could hit mm-hmm. for so much better better average.
2: yeah. I haven't noticed a lot of that um, from the guys I've seen on the AZL team. But, um, yeah, that doesn't strike me as a trend um, among Padres hitters. Okay. But maybe it is among the Cal League guys because I've seen a lot less of them than than you guys have.
1: Well, and I'm probably just shading it with my my uninformed uneducated opinions uh so men- <laughs> you mentioned power and a name comes to mind somebody the padres drafted this year Joshua mears um mm. high school kid he's a big kid uh, apparently he's pretty athletic with he comes in with bunch of raw power uh did you get a look at him you said he was a tank
2: <laughs> he is a tank he's huge I think he's like 2% body fat. Like he's literally all muscle. Yeah. And he's Um, like
1: 6'3", 240, isn't he?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Something like that. He's, he's one of the, he's literally one of the strongest people you'll ever see. I, I saw Mears um, as you know, in the AZL and then again in Instructs. And, um, one of the things I thought he did better on over the course of the year. And this showed up on Miner's Graphs too, which you guys were alluding to earlier, but, he, I thought he did better elevating the ball as the year went on. And that actually showed up when I looked at his minor's graphs, uh, average fly ball distance. And um, when I saw him in the AZL, um, it was more kind of, he did hit a triple in my looks, but um, most of his contact was kind of flat planed and linear. But as the season went on, he, he elevated better, hit for more power, and um, it showed up it showed up in his numbers and it showed up on minors graphs. So I thought that was notable. Um, He's a guy who, for me, my concern with him is more, more so defensively. He's a good athlete, but I don't think he's a guy with a quick first step and um, he's young. So you could see potentially if he gets bigger, then that's something where maybe now he's only a first base type and, there's a higher offensive bar to clear, which isn't to say it's impossible, but it just is one of those things where his path to the majors now could be more difficult potentially. So um,
1: you, you mentioned minors graphs and the, um, the average fly ball distance. And I've been curious about that. Uh, you guys don't have access to like stat cast or um, was it TrackMan data is fly ball average fly ball distance published somewhere.
2: So, the way miners graphs works is Smada set it up in a way that it scrapes data off of other websites. And honestly, that's about all I know about it. I'm not sure where that's pulling from. Um, I'd need to, to ask Smada, to be honest. But I do know that um, it's it's basically a data scraping uh, process that goes on. And and that's what populates the graphs.
1: Okay, because I've seen that stat and I've, I've looked at a bunch of different players average fly ball distance and it seems to make sense when you when you see what the player is doing and you look at the data it correlates but mm-hmm. I just I, I don't see where that's being pulled from so I, right. I'm, I'm curious about that uh anyway I know that you made a focus this year to try to focus on a bunch of the J2 signings um Reginald Preciado and Ismael Mena were two guys that the Padres signed this year I know Preciado came over uh, as part of the Instructs group um along with a few other guys uh can you tell us anything about those guys
2: yeah, I mean, both those guys are very projectable, good body types. auto, he uh, split time between shortstop and third, and he's a taller dude. He's like, he's only six, I think he's 16 and a half, so he's really young. He's even young for a J2 kid, and he has this, like, I'd say six foot two, maybe six three frame, and you can just see he has crazy projection. Like, he's skinny right now, but this kid is going to fill out and I think be a big, powerful kid. And I I think he probably ends up at third long-term. I mean, he's already splitting time between short and third right now. So um, it seems like a pretty safe bet that he's going to end up there in the long run. Um, I mean, from what I see now, the number one thing that sticks out about Preciado is his bat-to-ball control. And he's a switch hitter. I've just... I've seen him scoop balls low. It's good barrel control. He can kind of go with pitches the other way with intent. He doesn't seem overmatched at all um, by facing this older competition. Um, I saw him hit a ball with a 103 exit velo opposite way, oh. and um, you know, like Tasty. this is this for for a kid this thin. Like I'm just imagining him with extra weight and there's power coming there is big power coming and I already love his bat to ball skills um and I think something that's important is like swing and miss rate is one of those things that stabilizes really quickly and I'm not seeing him I mean I I've been sitting on Padres Instructs I probably saw them I don't know I don't know how many games their schedule was but I think I saw them maybe seven or eight times and He was not swinging and missing a lot. And I think that's very promising for a kid who's, who's only 16 and a half. I mean, this is basically a a sophomore in high school facing, you know, pro caliber competition. Um, uh, What else? I, I noticed um, his, his arm action with, you know, throws over to first, he kind of, he pulls his hand back only to his shoulders before, before um, going forward to release the ball. And, You know, I think even with that sort of action, the arm was roughly average. I think the arm's going to get stronger, too, as he fills out. Is that Um, the kind of mechanics that can
1: be improved, or is that something that players have a hard time changing?
2: um, That's a good question. I'd say say he's young enough that I'm not super worried about it. And even if he does need to make changes with it, like, there's time. He has plenty of time to make changes in muscle memory, and I'm not super worried about it. Um, I think this kid is he's not a burner at all, but he's not super slow either. I had him uh as low as four four three on a on a four three ground out, which it's a below average runtime. But also a point I wanted to bring up was um a couple years ago I was out in the Chicago area and I was I was scouting the the indie ball stuff for the brewers, but I also took some time and I went to this Dominican um it's called the the DPL um showcase and they do it in Schaumburg Illinois every year and so many of these young kids 15 16 year olds they're not even at their peak speeds yet like I was looking at I was looking at run times for these kids and across the board there are lots and lots of bad run times so I mean I don't want to kill Preciado too much for it but um some of these kids just kind of haven't grown into their bodies yet. And right. they're actually, you can project speed onto them. I don't think, I don't think Cresciato is one of those kids. I think he is probably going to be something like a 40 or 50 runner at maturity. Cause I think he's going to add substantial weight. Um, so that's just something else to keep in mind. I think he's more, it's better, um, better straight line speed than quickness. And I think he's, I think he's a guy who's going to be at third. Um, make a lot of contact and he's going to grow into power as he gets older. Yeah. So he's exciting. I, yeah, I love Manny,
1: Manny Machado was never a burner and he, yeah. uh, he went on to have a pretty good career yeah. so far. Okay. So uh, a couple other guys. So um, let's shift over to the, the pitching side. Uh, Michelle Miliano is uh he was signed a couple years ago by the Padres and he's somebody that we've always heard a lot about. Like he's got crazy talent, um, but he hasn't shown up stateside at all. Uh,
2: did you get a look at him at all? I don't think he threw. Um at least the games I went to, I'm pretty sure he didn't throw.
1: You know, that's a good point because at this point of the year, it's late in the year. Uh so with pitching workloads, it's hard to get a look at a lot of guys. So somebody I know who did throw, Martin Carrasco, um uh, mm-hmm. a uh, 18-year-old, uh well, 19-year-old out of Tijuana. Um uh, did you get a chance to see him?
2: Um I jeez. Um I mean some Softball here. He's, he's digging in on you. All
1: right. Well, Sorry, I uh <laughs> here, I'll, I'll throw three names out, and if you saw any of them, say something. So Luarbert Arias, Dilman Coleman, and Omar Cruz.
2: Um yeah, I, I did see Arias. Um he was he was more so like a low nineties, low nineties guy with good command and really polished secondaries. Um I thought his changeup and curve were both flashing plus and He's a guy who I didn't think was overpowering with his fastball. Like it was low 90s, but um, he just spots really well and he's able to keep guys off balance because, you know, basically locating well within the zone and he repeats very well. He was on uh, one of the AZL teams as well. I can't remember if it was, it may have been Padres one because I think I saw him during the AZL season and then also during Instructs. But yeah, I think, I don't know. He's, I'm trying to think, like, long-term outcome, what he would be, because it's sort of a tricky profile. Um, if, if, you, if you don't make it as a back-end starter, I don't see, like, high-octane velo that would necessarily play well in the pen. And I think, really, it was his secondaries that allowed him to be successful this year. So it's tricky. I, I'm, I'm a little bearish on him for that reason. Um, like, it, I'm working on an AZL top 100 list and i was probably going to write him up as something like a 30 30 future value meaning um this is a guy who could come up in case of injuries and like fill in like spots here and there guy Um, yeah kind of like an up and down guy in, in if there's a rash of injuries and the padres need to call someone up for a spot start here and there
1: all right, so I'm done peppering you. Trying to, <laughs> um, woo.
0: Am I off the hot seat? Off the hot seat. That's the hot seat by Friars on the farm. So,
1: were, who were some guys that stood out to you that that you watched over the last couple months?
2: Oh, anybody? Yeah, go anybody. Go for it. Man, so many, so many sexy names. I really liked uh, Robert Poisson, um, who's one of the Athletics J two signees, and. Really really twitchy kid he signed for five million and he was a he was a 2019 j2 um, I'm gonna post some video of him um, pretty soon on YouTube and it's kind of cool because there's this massive like contingent of scouts obstructing my view of him um, in Bp like hitting hitting a i believe his left-handed swing um, and it's cool because you can just tell how amped people are to see him. He's very twitchy, very athletic, has a chance. He's like one of those guys who has a chance to be a legitimate, like five to a player. Um, he's young, too. I think he's 17, um, really drives the ball well. He has these really thin. His calves are like the thinnest calves you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think what else I want to say about cost I remember um, reading just, something looks, about,
1: about, calves that that's like, there are certain body muscle groups that just from genetic reasons, they don't get bigger. So a lot of okay. muscle builders, like bodybuilders, they can get, you know, they get huge pecs and quads and whatever, but the calves only get so big. So guys get implants in their calves. to. Oh, that's
2: creepy. <laughs> oh, really? That's weird implants. <laughs> um,
1: there is such but, a thing. I don't get it,
2: <laughs> but yeah, like, Pascone has crazy bat speed. It's he's not going to be devoid of power. I mean, and then um, defensively looked pretty slick. He's just this this raw but toolsy guy. I think with you know more than everyday upside, he has a chance to be a star, and the the A's paid him accordingly. So, is he an infielder? Yes, he plays shortstop. Okay. Anyone on the Padres side that you want to talk about? Um. Yeah. So I. I mean. I. I among the J two guys that the Padres signed, yeah. I think Preciado is probably the guy I like the best. But um, I did also like Mena and um, Mena Gutierrez and Medina were the the three big names. Um, I could talk about Gutierrez a little bit. He's so this-
1: give give us full names and positions on all that. So for the guys that don't uh, aren't familiar with
2: them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's Luis Gutierrez. He's a left-handed pitcher, and he's not. He's not physically domineering or anything. He's kind of a shorter guy, but um, I really like the mechanics with him. They're very smooth mechanics. It looks like very repeatable and low effort, and he was 85 to 88 in in my looks. So, like, the fastball, while it's not overpowering, again, this kid's 16, and, um, like, it made me think of, like, a couple years ago, I was scouting NHSI, and... I saw this kid, Andrew Painter and Painter was like low eighties and he was a freshman the year I saw him. And I'm like, well, this kid has a pretty easy delivery and, um, Painter granted painter is bigger than Gutierrez. So maybe it's not a perfect comparison, but like, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to write him off because I liked his mechanics and he flashed a good breaking ball. And two years later, Andrew Painter was in the Under Armour game throwing low 90s, um, in, in Chicago. So, I mean, this is the type of thing that can happen with younger kids like this. I mean, if they, if they have smooth mechanics and their bodies aren't totally filled out, those are the kind of guys who are good gambles on to potentially add velo. And that's something that wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see with Gutierrez. Um, and he, he also had a couple pretty good secondary pitches. The, the curve was uh, 69 to 72 with pretty big two plane break. Um, and then you're also looking at a, a changeup that I had 78 to 80. Um, the two secondaries, I think, could get to above average or better. So, you know, you're looking at a guy with, I'd say, back end starter potential. And he, if, if he does make it in that kind of role, it's a pitchability guy. This is a guy who is going to keep people off balance um, with his pitch mix. And I don't, I don't ever, I wouldn't project him to be uh, like a dominant flamethrower, but this is someone who I think has back end starter potential. And, you know, it's a, it really is a, it's somewhat of a flyer, right? Like you're throwing a million dollars at a J two guy. Maybe he's, back-end starter maybe he doesn't reach double a like that's sort of what you're getting yeah
1: so i, I find that gamble a, a fascinating thing that you see somebody who's 14 15 16 years old uh, luis patino is the the hot success story for the padres that mm-hmm. they saw him throwing a bullpen when he was 15 and he was throwing like low 80s but you see enough in the body the makeup the mechanics to be able to think maybe if he grows another six inches and puts on 40 pounds of muscle, he might be throwing it. I I don't know how evaluators see that and make that assessment and then to throw a bunch of money at a kid on the, on the hopes that he's going to develop into that. So I find that whole thing fascinating. Right. Well, there's 16 and (laughs) the
0: 16 year olds, you know, these kids, there are, they are 16 velocity. Peak at 16, 17, 18? I mean, I'm sure at eighteen maybe it does, perhaps. But like at sixteen, if you're throwing eighty-five, that's a sophomore in high school. You know, there's, yeah. there's plenty of projectability there.
2: Like, just imagine if these kids were were draft prospects. Like, they would be create. They I mean they'd be on top of every list. Yeah. You know, every conceivable list, and they would be immensely hyped. It's just they fly a little bit under the radar because you know there's this there's this sort of gap between um, like when they sign as J2 prospects and then when they come stateside where they get lost a little bit in the shuffle but these guys all have I, I think really intriguing interesting potential and um, the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about was just how the Padres decided to allocate their um, international spending dollars because like they they kind of had an interesting strategy like they split their money across these four guys so it's it's Preciado, the third base prospect, um, Ishmael Mena, and, who is a center field prospect, Luis Gutierrez, who we just talked about, and then Brian Medina, who's a right-handed pitcher. So th- those guys got the biggest chunk of the Padres J2 pie. So like they opted to, to split the money among those guys rather than going after a Poisson or going after um, the Yankees guy. I think his name was Dominguez. Is that right? Oh, Jose, uh, Jose
1: Dominguez? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so, like, instead of instead of say throwing five million at one of those guys, they split the money up. And I'm sure there's a lot of things behind the scenes, like with the international market, that we're not privy to. But you know, it's interesting to see the strategy they took versus the strategy some other teams took.
0: Um, right, they put a lot of money in one guy that they they were sure going to be a hot prospect instead of like spreading it out. Like quantity right. instead of quality almost maybe. So
1: there's a player that was at instructs, um the uh, Luis Almanzar and the Padres gave him a big bonus a few years ago. And he really hasn't gone on to do much. Yeah. He was an infielder and he's kind of slid down the defensive spectrum. Last I saw, he was playing a bunch of first base and mm-hmm. not hitting a whole lot. So yeah. there's a lot of risk there. If you're going to give three, four, five million dollars to somebody and they wind up not becoming much, maybe you missed out on two or three other guys like a Mena or a, or a Preciado that you could have had for, you know, a fraction of that. Right.
2: Yeah, there's there's definitely big risk. These kids are sushi raw and they can go a lot of different directions. I mean, sushi they, could, raw. they are sushi raw. I mean, you might be getting a roll 50. You might be getting dude who never makes double A. You don't know.
1: Okay, so you mentioned three other names there. Uh, Can you run down each of them? Well, I guess we've got two more to talk about. You got Mena, um, and there was another pitcher.
2: Yeah, there's Mena, and then there's uh, Brian Medina. So I guess I can start with Mena first. This, much like Preciado, I feel like the Padres like taking these gambles on this is the kid with uh, palpable athleticism, but the body has projection. Like both of those kids are really projectable. Um, So Mena. This is my first impression. I, I see a guy who's a defense-first outfielder, and it's one of those deals where the the polish and the reads are maybe a little... Um, they're advanced for his age, is what I would say. And everything he does is smooth. His movements in the outfield are smooth. His arm action on throws, pretty smooth. He made a really good throw in one of the Instructs games. It actually ended the game. He threw a runner out at home, and... Um, I thought the arm overall was more more accurate than strong and then you're just imagining as this kid fills out it's probably going to get to a point where you know maybe it projects to 55 or 60 um, once he fills in and and has some more strength because again he's he's young and I don't think the the arm strength is 100% what it's going to be at maturity but um you know in in the short looks that I got I saw him make like I think three throws and two of which were, were very good throws um, really accurate. Uh, I saw him. Well, let's see. I had plus runtime on him a four, a four, two, two on a uh, ground out one to three. And then he just in general, like this is a kid who I think is just has a smoothness to and polish to the way he um, he moves around and, and fields uh, the swing is a little bit inside out. It was mostly opposite field contact in my looks. Um, the bat to ball skills, decent. I mean, not as good as Preciado's, I would say. Um, if I had to pick one guy right now between those two, I'm definitely more of a Preciado guy. But I think both of these guys have legitimate, I'd say roll 50 like potential in terms of, I think they could be everyday players. I don't know if they're stars. I think Preciado I would say has a better chance to be a star cause do the bat to ball skills and, you know, possibility that he grows into power. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to undersell mana either. I think he does have a shot to be a regular and like anyone else, it's high variance. Um, so
1: you, you mentioned a lot of measurables, um, and a lot of things about like mechanics and, and physicality and, and all of that. Uh, but how do you account for situational awareness and the instincts and those kinds of things? And we Fernando Tatis Jr. just lit it up this year. And obviously he has the physical tools, but it's the the immediate decision making and knowing exactly what to do and and even being able to read. Um, you know, which way the, the cutoff guy, which way his shoulders are going, knowing whether he's going to try to come home or go to another base. How do you account for all of that and document that in your scouting?
2: Yeah. So honestly, that stuff takes a little more time to see. Like, I don't know if I would even get it in short instructs looks because these guys are kind of filing in and out. Like they might play, if they start, they might play five innings. If they're coming in, they might play four and, You will see things, like if you sit on a team for, I'd say, a week or something, you will start to notice stuff like that. Like um, During the AZL season, uh, I sat on the Diamondbacks for, it was like over a week, it was like eight days, and I would just start to notice stuff, like Jose Corpo was a guy who I just thought had great field awareness, and I would see him, one, he would play at several different positions, but he just seemed like a guy who knew where everyone else was on the field and um, you pick up on these little like instinctual things that um, it's decisiveness is what I would say. You see a guy move and you just, he has no hesitation. He, he knows where he wants to go in all situations and that's not something you can really pick up in a, like a short instructs look. I'd say you need, Kind of prolonged uh, looks at a guy to to figure that out. Um, I will say a guy like Mena, I I liked his jumps in the outfield. I thought the initial reads were good, so that's a good sign for for instincts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think in general you kind of have to just sit on a guy for a little bit to uh, to get more more of a feel for how instinctive he will be so my question is this so in in seeing all these
0: other organizations and their j2 guys and their minor league systems and and their players do do you see a difference in the type of player that these two guys are getting you said the padres like and this is kind of their thing is like very toolsy very raw kind of players where mm-hmm. you know we're seeing a little bit of that not flowing up to the major league level you know these guys are you know they're not coming up major league ready. Are are we drafting guys that, you know, that have a little bit less of a chance to be making it to the major leagues? Are they going over, like I said before, are they going quantity
2: over quality? Um, do you know what I'm trying to say there? It, it's, it's Yeah. Um, I think the Padres do have, they. I'd say they have a very aggressive organizational philosophy in terms of they like to challenge their young guys. Like um, at Elsinore this year, when I looked at the Cal league qualified hitters, Elsinore had the the five youngest uh, qualified hitters in the league. And I think they push their young guys really aggressively and they kind of throw them in the fire. It's sort of sink or swim. It's like, we're going to promote you. And um, uh, to throw a phrase on it, like kind of only the strong survive, like this year, Gabriel Arias like just emerged and um, you know, really improved his prospect stock tremendously. He was able to make adjustments as the year went on, and some of the other guys, uh, I'd say, weren't yeah. weren't able to do that. But um, even if even if say 30% of those type of guys succeed, I think the Padres view it as a net positive because now you have uh, maybe two or three more guys who, if they if they pop up on back end of top 100 prospect lists. You know, I think in in their eyes they've succeeded despite, um, you know, the other 70% maybe not making it. Okay. Do you see maybe that perhaps that
0: putting those young guys in, you know, higher leverage, higher leagues and, you know, pushing them could maybe, uh, I don't know, stunt their development with uh, trying to do too much with not having the tools yet. You know what I mean? Just trying like that to someone else, 18 years old, playing in a high A, His swing Mm -hmm. got long because he needs to hit, you know, he feel he needs to hit the ball harder or, you know, swing faster or or whatever. And and do you think that might create a little bit of bad habits and maybe slow the development instead of letting players stew and, and kind of get that solid foundation of, of learning a swing of learning pitching Uh, instead of it's like, okay, kid, make it happen. Make it. So
2: yeah, there's absolutely. There's definitely risks to bringing guys up earlier. I mean, I think some guys can have their confidence shaken and it's a, it's a case by case basis. You know, I don't have a good feel for um, Ornellis's uh I guess I would say mental fortitude and his, his ability to deal with failure and respond to it and hopefully use it as something that's constructive rather than yeah. um, something that's, it's going to weigh on him and potentially break him down. But um there's risk to it yo-yoing guys up and down because i mean it has to be at least somewhat demoralizing like if you get if you're in a league even if you're facing older guys and you're striking out 30 percent of the time like that just wears on you and i think it's human nature i mean uh to not want to fail and to succeed want to succeed even if even if you have people telling you don't worry about it like you're young for the level like you have time to make adjustments It's still, uh, I could see it being potentially demoralizing and it, um, I think it really comes down to the player. Certain players are going to respond to that and thrive and certain players are going to kind of wilt that pressure, um, so I think it's a case by case basis.
1: Okay, I, I guess that has something to do with how the coaches and the player development folks communicate with those players, and like establishing realistic goals, um, helping them deal with with failure and, and process that in a healthy manner. Uh, do you get a chance to see much of that? I know you're there to to watch the players and the on field stuff, but do you do you see much of a difference between how teams handle their players at that level?
2: Um, a little bit. So I feel like when I'm at fields, teams kind of are a little wary of me because they know I'm a person who, you know, might tweet something or might write something. And, um, you know, I think they kind of like to keep things close to the vest and, um, who knows what that Jason Panini might say on Twitter. (laughs) So, um, there's
0: been no evidence, let me stop you there, but there's really been no evidence of that. To the contrary, like we follow you. I, we're on Twitter all the time. I don't see too much other than it, mostly it's always positive. Well,
1: it's it's probably not a, a, a thing with Jason in particular. It's it's more of a general, there are eyeballs out there, and right. you don't want to let information get out to the other organizations right. or anything like that, right? I mean, yeah, well, these things you handle behind closed doors.
2: I think that there's a, there's a lot of truth to that because um, how teams approach player development – it is different from team to team but like would say say if you had like a pri- a proprietary process you'd developed like you wouldn't necessarily want other teams to know how you approach different things and you know things that have succeeded for you like you don't want those to they're i would say i would classify them as um temporary advantages and they're only going to last until one of your employees gets hired by another team and then like brings that knowledge over. So, yeah. um, you know, they don't, I, that's a really good point. Like they wouldn't want me potentially bringing that knowledge over, um, whether intentionally or not. So yeah, something I didn't think about, but it's a good point. <laughs> so what is your,
1: so now, um, the Arizona fall league is starting to wind down uh, I'm not sure how much time there is left in that. Um, what do the next couple of weeks look like for you? Are you, are you planning on heading back? I know you've got family back in Mississippi. Um, are you planning on coming out for the winter meetings? Uh, it it, it kind of goes into a dead period for you, right?
2: Uh, yes and no. So the the fall league ends uh, October 26th is the championship game, and it really got moved up this year. I think last year it ended. May have been November thirteenth or fourteenth. Yeah, so, they moved
1: the whole thing up like a month almost.
2: Yeah, they moved it up significantly, and um, I get why they are doing it. They basically they didn't they didn't want this ramping down period and then ha- pitchers having to ramp up again. Right, so, right. Um, it, it makes total sense. I understand why teams do it. I'm going to be pretty busy the next really three weeks um, up up until the 26th because. Uh, Instructs is winding down the Dodgers and Royals have three games left this upcoming week. And uh, I'm going to be sitting on them because I'm trying to get feel for especially Eric Pena is who is one of the other um, big J two kids. And uh, the Royals signed him for, I think it was 3.8 million. He was a, one of the bigger dollar sign guys and he's really intriguing. So I'm, I want to see him next week. I'm also what I'm doing is I'm trying to sit on AFL teams for like five or six days a piece. That way I can see as many mm-hmm. pictures as I can. Um, I just finished up with Scottsdale today. Today was my sixth day with them. And uh, this week I'm going to be seeing Glendale and I'll be seeing them for five or six days. And, you know, it, there's so many players out here that sitting on one team for, A period of time just really helps round out your looks on guys because you're focusing like on the same players day in and day out rather than in years past i did the stupid thing which is like chase starting pitchers every day but like (laughs) then (laughs) my looks were so fragmented that like it was hard to keep everything straight in my mind so um i think this approach really helped me out and it let me see it helped me notice trends with players a lot easier um so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be very AFL-heavy the next three weeks. And then once the off season rolls around, um, I'm trying to get a little bit into coding. I'm going to try to learn some sequels, some R, and, you know, have that in my baseball tool belt. So, you know, I'm I'm always working on something. You know, if there's not games going on, you got to keep busy, keep productive. So God, I'll, I'll find something to do. You, you, you're the
0: hardest-working guy that we talked to on this podcast. I mean – You're always working. Uh, Jason, you guys, if you're still, go to Prospects Live. Go subscribe to their YouTube channel. There's tons of excellent content on not only the Padres, but all the other major league teams. Uh, Jason Panini. Once again, we thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, we had to do this on a day that there wasn't a game. There was no game, right? There was no <laughs> game today. He's like, I can do this day. And that's it. That's it. So we really appreciate you coming on and spending the time. And uh, if you ever
1: come out to San Diego, you should uh, scout one of Donovan's games. He plays in the uh, the local. Yeah,
2: no, it was bad. <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of 20-grade tools. Sorry, uh, <laughs> there's,
1: Across the board, <laughs> Dude, you guys,
0: thumbing up the ball. I mean, I had a really bad hip today, uh, and I oh, still got. No. I still went two for five with like three RBIs, but I'm walking to first base. Make no
1: mistake, Donovan can hammer a baseball. Right.
0: Oh it's all upper body. It's all hands. No lower body.
2: <laughs> no, like I really appreciate you guys having me on, and I know my schedule is kind of a pain in the ass. So. It's yeah, never eat. a pain in the ass for us, dude. <laughs> it, it,
0: it's uh we're we're we'll make it work. We'll absolutely make it work for you. And anything you need from us, you let us know.
2: Thanks so much. Yeah, this is fun. I always enjoy these uh these combos are great. All right, we'll talk to you later.